From Washington, D.C., this is the Korean American Perspectives, a new podcast presented to you by the Council of Korean Americans. Welcome to the Korean American Perspectives podcast, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of the Korean American experience and examine different sides of complex issues that shape our community. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy this episode. This is Abraham Kim, your host of the Korean American Perspectives podcast. When I grew up as a young boy, I used to love playing video games like Galaga, Qbert, and Donkey Kong. Oh God, I, I think I'm dating myself. <laughs> well, today video games have not only become incredibly advanced with games like Warcraft or League of Legends, but now these recreational pastimes have become a $1.5 billion competitive industry. Esport is one of the fastest growing trends in the world, and South Korea is largely considered the birthplace of pro gaming. With millions of people around the globe playing computer games, watching online competitions, and buying merchandise, the rest of the world has started to notice this new phenomenon. Today, I'm fortunate to have with me Jinhee Ahn Kim, CEO and co-founder of UYU Esports Team. Jinhee is an amazing creative problem solver who allowed her insatiable curiosity and her amazing ability to find gaps in the marketplace to lead her career from management consulting to fashion to law to educational software to entrepreneurship and now esports. She has had multiple successful careers. In our interview, we were able to discuss the culture and dynamics of the rapidly expanding esports scene and what it's like to work with pro gamers and how she got involved in the gaming industry. If you're a young person currently aspiring towards a career in the esports industry, or maybe you're just a concerned parent about the prospects of a video game career, Jinhee shares some insights into what it's like to work in the esports world. Although not everyone can become a pro gamer, similar to the entertainment industry or even the sports industry, there are many ways to get involved and make a name for yourself. We hope you enjoy the engaging conversation with Jinhee An Kim about her life, her career path, and how the esports industry has grown and evolved over time. Welcome to the Korean American Perspectives. My name is Abraham Kim. I'm the host of today's podcast. I'm so honored to have our guest today, Jinhee An Kim. Uh, CEO and co-founder of UYU, a esports team, and not only uh, is she a successful serial entrepreneur, but also a our board member at the Council of Korean Americans. So we're really honored to have you, Jinhee. I'm really happy to be speaking with you today. Well, Jinhee, let's start off from the beginning. Tell me about your life. Were you born in Korea before you, or were you born here in the United States? I, I was born in Korea and I uh, came to the U.S. when I was five years old. And you came to the United States because of your parents' work or what, what brought you to the United States? My father 
was teaching martial arts to the U.S. military really close to the North Korean border. And my early memories are all around, I think it was called Camp Casey, around a U.S. military base there. And so he was invited by the ROTC program at the University of Cincinnati to come over and, you know, uh, and help teach them some martial arts. So he came over to Cincinnati in like 1968. And then, and then we, we, my mother, my brother and, and, and your sister moved over to Cincinnati now, back in the late 60s. Tell me about your family life during that time. Were you, your father was teaching ROTC at the ROTC program on, uh, at the University of Cincinnati. And you grew up and you eventually looked to study pre-med. Were you pressured or was your family just trying to nurture you to take a particular career route like many Korean parents? I was the eldest. And then my dad, he was teaching ROTC. And then very, like, before we even moved to the U.S., he opened up a school, a a martial arts school. And so he was busy all, like, we didn't see him very often because those classes, they they usually happen in the evening after work. So my mom was, you know, by that time, um, there were four four of us kind of taking care of us and we're running around doing the whole it's like the wonder years. We lived in this like, you know, Midwestern suburb. And, and they had the foresight of moving us to um, a, a neighborhood that had excellent, one of the best public school systems in Cincinnati. My parents didn't really pressure me about a certain path. I think I personally like to, to strive and, and and as long as I was enjoying what I was doing or excelling at it. I think the medical path was more that that was something like I wasn't exposed to that many different careers around me. I think besides my father and all the the, the martial artists or friends that that he had, the other Koreans in the community that they were friends with were were doctors or engineers. I was good in math and science too, and so I thought that that might be interesting. But um, so I did. I did look into it, and I did do a lot of things when I was in high school that was science or or medical related. But there wasn't. I didn't have that pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just kind of thought it might be interesting for a period of time. <laughs> well, so you you went to college. Uh, you studied pre med, but you later switched your your major to, I believe, economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then you chose management consulting as your first career out. I mean, what, what attracted you to that? Well, this was the, this was the 80s. And the, it was the time of Wall Street and Gordon Gecko and all that. And, and most of, uh, it's interesting when I think about like where a lot of the students over the decades, the industries that they that, that are popular and that a lot of the students try to, you know, pursue careers in. You know, I I think I was a product of, of that too. Um, I think in the maybe the 60s, 70s, like advertising and consulting were really popular, right? And then in the 80s, it was about all about investment banking and now now it's startups, it's technology. It's I think every kind of decade has an area that just really like uh, excites excites students back then. But yeah, so 
at that time, you know, a lot of the people, especially the ones that did study economics, were either trying to get jobs in Wall Street or in management consulting. And for me, I thought it was really interesting to go into management consulting because I, I got to go and, and study a lot about a particular company or problem and, and help try to come up with, you know, creative business solutions for it. So yes, I started off doing management consulting. <laughs> right, was. It was a it was a great choice because it led you to your first one of your first adventures into the artistic world, which was uh, the fashion industry. Tell me about that. How did you get involved with the fashion industry? While I was at, at at college, some of the courses that I did take were in design, and those were the courses that I actually liked the most. And at, at one point, I kept I, I wanted to change my major and and you know pursue trying to become an architect, but I didn't. So once I was in management consulting, it, I, I was going back and forth to New York a lot, and I I started talking to some people that were working in fashion and just trying to learning about um, about their careers. And I had always really been attracted to the the creative part of that business. And so one of the people that I reached out to, to learn more about their career offered me a position at their company. So I just moved to New York and started working in, in fashion, at least on the business side of it initially. But that wasn't enough because you wanted to also, like you said, you had an attraction to the design aspect of this and you started taking courses at, at Parson. And then yes. you eventually enrolled into Parsons. <laughs> so, uh, that's a fascinating story. Tell us, tell our audience about that story, how you got into Parsons. I was working at a, a company at the time called Liz Claiborne, and they were one of the, they were very successful in, in addressing like the career women, clothes for, for the career woman. And so I was working on the business side of things, but working very closely with the, the designers. And I just kept, you know, looking at what they're doing and go talk to like the pattern makers and see the people like, you know, designing the fabrics and all this. And, and so I started taking, and I, I was thinking to myself, I shouldn't want to do that. I don't want to sit here and, and, and run the numbers and, and um, I'd rather be like doing what they're doing. So I started taking some Saturday, like uh, drawing classes, charcoal drawing, so life drawing. I didn't know life meant <laughs> I showed up to my first class of life drawing, and it meant they're you know they don't have any clothes on, and they're in front of you like posing, and you're supposed to draw them. I was, uh, it sent me. I was very shocked. Um, but anyway, so I took some Saturday drawing courses, and then somehow I don't know anymore how I, 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 I somehow I found out I cut a meeting with the dean of uh, dean of Parsons in. I went in there with my roll roll of charcoal drawings from this one class. Uh, I'm supposed to have a portfolio, but I, that was my portfolio, kind of a, a roll up of a few charcoal drawings, and we had a really nice conversation. And I applied, and and I got accepted to their fashion pro, fashion design program. So <laughs> I didn't follow the rules. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it took a level of curiosity and some gutsiness and and persistence and some risk taking, and you launched into a new career. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was so fun. I had such a good time in design school. I, yeah, I, yeah. Just it was so different from everything that I had studied before. Really exercising, say the the right side of the brain. But then since I had the business background too, um, I could kind of think about things in in that way. And so after I went to Parsons, I I did get a job working as a as a designer. So. Hmm. You work for and the funny thing is yeah. Ralph. Yeah, so I got a, a job from working for Ralph Warren, and and I was doing knitwear, actually men's sweaters. And the funny thing about that too is, at that time, I didn't know how to knit at all. So <laughs> a friend told me that, hey, you should go and interview. They're looking for another like an assistant designer for the, the menswear, and. I, and it's for for knit knitwear, and I said I don't know how to knit. It's like go ahead and interview anyway. So I did, and I really liked my boss. We got along really well in the interview, and there were so many other parts of it besides actually knowing how to knit. And I figured I'll, I'll teach myself how to knit, and I, I did get the job, and I did teach myself to knit, and I still love 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 to knit now. But I didn't have that knowledge when I started. You moved around quite a bit. I, I know you moved to from New York to London, and at some point you moved to Singapore as well, and then and then to Hawaii. I mean, you you've moved around quite a bit during your lifetime. Yes, in fact, this is like the longest I think I've been in in one place. So I'm just kind of thinking back to it from Korea, you know, the, that first move to the U.S. and and then even in Cincinnati, we moved several times. And I think there's just something in my, like, now my DNA where it seems that picking up and, and going to another place, a new adventure. So from Cincinnati, you know, it was Boston, New York. Um, we went to Cambridge, England. And then I think came back, uh, lived in Connecticut for a while, did, did live in Singapore for a couple of years, went back to Cincinnati, moved to Tokyo. And then that was Honolulu. We were there for a good period of time, about eight years, and then to London. And so I've been in London for almost 10 years now, but not really in London. I'm really here. I'm, I'm usually <laughs> at an airport. So yes. During that time, were you uh, continued to work in the fashion world or did you move on to do other things? Mm, so when, when you're an expat in some of these countries, it's really difficult as a spouse to get the right visa to, mm. to work. So when we were in Singapore, I had I had my son and daughter then and then I, I, I tried, I, I wasn't working then, you know, volunteering at school and, and, and doing a lot of mommy young kids stuff so then then i actually took about i wasn't working in tokyo either i took about a 10-year break from from working wasn't until we moved to honolulu and i finished doing all the applications for the kids different schools and then i was like okay i'm back in the states now 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 what do i do um i haven't worked in a really long time i don't really know if my brain can function anymore i know a lot of children's songs and a lot of children's tv but i just i wasn't confident that that um, i could get back into the workforce and especially in in hawaii so i decided to apply to to school because 
I just like studying anyway. That was law school, um, correct? Yes. So I looked and there was one LSAT left for that year before the application deadline. And so I got the Stanley Kaplan and I just like studied and studied and I, I for like a couple weeks and then I, I took the LSATs and and I did go to law school in Hawaii. And that was just a really, really wonderful experience. One, because the program is is wonderful and it's small. And the, the students, it's not like what people, what I imagine law school to be in all those movies and cutthroat and all that. Like the, the community was just really wonderful. And, and then everyone's 22 years old and here I am. I think I was 40 when I started law school. But it was great for me to kind of activate my 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 brain again to, to study all these really interesting things. And I used to bring my kids with me to lectures and everyone would want to babysit them. The professors would come up and like talk to them and people would give me all their like notes and their skinnies and all this. Cause they're like, we know you're really busy with the kids. And so the kids actually loved, <laughs> loved it when I was going to law school too. So it was a really nice time. And then I, I went and I, I wasn't planning on studying law. I was u- planning on using it to kind of get myself back into the critical thinking, problem solving. And then I was thinking about using it to go into some type of business. But turned out I, I, I ended up working for a law firm for, for a couple of years and mostly enjoyed that experience. And that was in Honolulu, a law firm in yes. Honolulu? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, so you... you took the bar and you... I and, took the bar. And you I became, passed the became, bar. <laughs> <laughs> and you became a lawyer as well. I did. And I, I worked at an amazing firm. I think it's one of the top firms in, in Hawaii and fantastic people there. Great partners. I learned so much from them. But at the same time, I started an early learning curriculum company. And that came out of when I was studying, my older two kids were doing homework, but my youngest was three. She also wanted to do homework like everybody else. And I found, at least in the US, there weren't things that were developmentally appropriate for a really young child. And not that I was trying to push her, but she was like sitting there next to us trying to draw and, you know, all this. And and I remember when we were living in, in Tokyo, and I've also seen it in Korea that they have these wonderful books for young children where it was like the size was right for their motor skills at that time. And it was like super engaging for a young child who's really curious and trying to do things, right? So I thought, oh, well, there isn't anything like this here. I'd like to start developing something like this. So I did. And I was doing that along with um, working at the law firm. And at one point, I decided to put most of my attention to the, the early learning startup. And so I, I left active practice and, and went more into that. And then that kind of led into, as I was working with creating like curriculum for kind of the, the preschooler set. And then that's when the iPhone had come out and um, they announced the app store. And so when I saw that, I thought, oh, well, what I'm doing with this early learning curriculum, this would really translate well to apps because the, the children could use the, the face of the iPhone and like practice their fine motor skills of you know, tracing letters and numbers and, and matching things and all that. So we started, I started developing some um, children's apps, pretty like we were one of the early ones on, in the app stores for like educational apps. Did you have computer science 
background? Did you do the coding yourself or were you work with? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) A pattern here. Like, I don't know anything about anything about I I did buy a lot of books. I love to buy books and you know, like how to do this, but I I found somebody that could code. And then also I the the drawing, I found um someone who was just graduating from from college. And so then I, I worked with her and kind of gave her a lot of guidance on the, the look and things that I wanted. And and so they helped create this for me. So oh. I just, I, I, I find really good, talented people. Yeah. Well, this, this uh, children's app uh, was not your first startup. I mean, it, it really launched you into uh, another career in the software world. Walk me through that journey through your kind of your multiple I guess stops along the way, milestones in your in your software career. So we were doing the the, the children's apps, and and then and that was when we were in Hawaii, and for a lot of different reasons, you know, our, our kids were starting to go to school on the on the mainland on the East Coast, and it was it was really like. I would try to go visit my daughter every every month and it was like 17-hour flights back and forth. And I said to my husband, I think, you know, maybe we should move closer to, to the kids. And so we ended up going past the East Coast over the Atlantic Ocean and we ended up in, in London. <laughs> so we went a little too far east. We ended up in London and and I, uh, through some different people, found out about a company that had just started and they were making educational children's, a, a giant website, you know, a learning website. And, and they brought me on to help them with that. It's crazy though. At the same time, I had just, I had gone to, uh, um, Harvard had their first Asian American Alumni Summit, the very first one. That was an amazing experience. There were like six decades of, of alumni there from all around the world. And I had met someone that was going to the, the business school there. And, and I was, oh, I, what, I should have backed which up. Business well, school was, was this at? The HBA, uh, Harvard Business Harvard, School. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I missed, I, I, I missed this a few. After we moved to London, mm-hmm. I was going around with my daughters trying to explore. And at that time, with with the iPhone, with the smartphones, um, a lot of uh, mobile and social apps were were becoming popular. So that was back in the day when Foursquare was really popular, when you know you could mm-hmm. become the mayor of a coffee shop. And there were things like apps like food spotting, which people took pictures of food at restaurants and would, would post about it. And Yelp was just starting. Instagram was also just starting. And um, so I was going around with my daughters after I'd done all this research about different like restaurants or shops. And, and, you know, when I got out of the, the black cab, I was like, like, I don't even know. Like there's all these like businesses around me. I wish I could just peek inside, look at my phone and peek inside the stores to see if we want to go into them or not. Right. And then I knew that the technology was there to create an app like this. And so that was my idea is, was to use the local and social and picture taking to help people like find products actually near them, not online, 
if that makes sense. So I had this idea brewing. And when I went to the alumni summit, I ran into, um, I I met someone, um, Sarah from, she was first year at um, Harvard Business School. And she was saying she was kind of looking into fashion and and entrepreneurship. And so I asked her to have coffee with me after the thing. And I I kind of pitched her this idea I had about this, this new app that could help you like find especially fashion product in stores around you. And so that's how that that kind of started. We started we started working on that at the same time I started working at the company that was doing educational online educa- online educational world actually. So yeah, I was doing two things again, wasn't I? Yes. So with with the the company I was working for in London, they were creating I don't know if you remember this might be like too young for, for your kids, but there was like Club Penguin where all the little kids were playing. They would go in a world and you know, interact with each other. It was very mm-hmm. social, um, but they were trying to put an educational layer onto that. But as I was talking to them, I said, you know, the iPad just came out. Like, I think this is a great tool and you should really think about utilizing that for like children's education. And so the, the CEO, they kind of said, okay, well, we're going to split it. We're going to have this like online web world and then we'll create a department uh, to like start doing like mobile apps. So which would you like to do? I'm like, okay, mobile apps, of course. So so I went on to there and helped them create, I think when I was there, we did about 20 different children's apps for the company before I, I left to just focus on on Snapchat because we had ended up getting funded. We went through an accelerator and got funded. And and then at that time, I was like, I can't, I can't um, split my time between both. So. But you were so traveling these... between San Francisco and London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah each week, was, weren't you? <laughs> I was, I was. So, I mean, he, the, my, my boss was so great. He's, I, I told him we had gotten into this accelerator program in, in uh, San Francisco and that I wanted to work on this. And he's like, oh, well, I'll let you do, like, can you do both? I'll, I'll, I'll let you like spend some time there. And, and so I would go to San Francisco for like a week or two and then I would fly back land, a Sunday and then land on Monday morning at seven, come home, take a shower and then get into the office by nine for the for the other job so i i did that for i don't know maybe almost a year <laughs> i don't your your family don't must know. have been very understanding during this time <laughs> my husband was awesome yeah so and then my oh the older two were not home anymore they were in school and then the youngest one um she was in middle school so yes i couldn't have done it if my my husband wasn't there to really be taking care of care of Avery but I think we he, he had said we had talked about it and like I said for about 10 years I wasn't working and then it was kind of my turn to like go and and pursue a lot of different things and, and he made sure he wasn't traveling when I was traveling and that he was um, there for for youngest and so I mean they're extremely close I just want to pause here and just kind of reflect on your your career and and really how your really how your brain works <laughs> uh, where where not only do you have a creative side but you you see a problem and you just really pull from all your different background and the th- you know experiences in your life and then you apply it to solve that problem you see a gap and then you try to fill that gap i'm wondering you know you know, you, you, you've raised children, you've mentored, I'm sure, many people. 
you know, how do you teach that? How do you teach and develop that talent of really not thinking about issues in a linear fashion, but really seeing patterns or seeing how different elements come together? I, I think maybe just being thrown into moving around a lot um, when I was young, being thrown into different situations, or maybe because I have different perspectives than than other people or even you know i mean the, the great thing about the liberal arts education and I, I i used to kind of go like right 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 when they force you to take a lot of different classes and this was kind of drilled into me uh pretty on early on in college is that it wasn't necessarily the subject but it was the the courses were trying to teach you what i was supposed to get out of it was how to think about a problem like from from a, a scientific perspective or a social scientist perspective or, or, you know, an artist perspective, right? And so for me, what's, I've always been really curious about solving problems in a different way. So I don't know if that, I don't know if there's a way to, to teach that. That's a hard question. Maybe. Or, or, or maybe <laughs> just your... Just because you, like you said, have been not only exposed to different kinds of issues because of your work has taken you to different places, but also the fact that you moved around in different countries. And I never fit in anywhere either. I'm like, just like this, what, maybe call it square peg, like where, where I was. I mean, not that I felt like, oh, what was me? But like when I think about the environments that I've been in, there's always like, I'm like different from everyone. And, and um, maybe that helps me think about like instead of like opportunities when problems present themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as an outside observer, I think that's your superpower, the ability to look at a problem and then slice it in different ways and then look at it and how, and then how to bring all these different, the creative element, the obviously the business element, the, and, and the people element and how to bring those you know, those elements or those ingredients together to uh, to create a business or solve a problem or, or move an issue forward. So <laughs> I want to take a big leap forward and, and, and get into your uh, another step of your career, which is your esports career and how you founded UYU. Tell me about that journey, about how you got, how you started your career in esports and founded this team. Mm. I know esports is like such a buzzy thing right now, right? So <laughs> I, I think that the journey goes back to Korea. Back about, I guess, in 2008, 2010, I, I, even when we were in Hawaii, I remember kind of getting introduced to Korean dramas. Like other, my, one of my friends in law school was really crazy about it. And I was like, I don't have time to, to watch that. I didn't understand why I was so crazy about it, right? But that's kind of when uh, Korean dramas and then, you know, later like Korean music, all of that started permeating audiences out, out, outside, of, outside of Korea. And so back in 2010, actually, I had a, a, a site, a, a website where I was... Um, was all about Korean dramas and Korean music. And I was kind of running it myself, trying to learn how to, that's when I was getting those those books about how to do websites and things. And so I've been really fascinated by a lot of the, the pop culture that was coming out of, out of Korea, um, whether it was fashion or music, um, also beauty. But esports was also really gaining ground, really, really like 
very popular in, in Korea. And so I was following it back then. It wasn't until more recently that it intrigued me as something that, that I could be a part of. I think what happened was after um, sold the fashion tech startup, um, I had a period of time where I was mentoring different different startup founders and kind of exploring different areas that I w- might want to pursue. And one of them was in like um, K-beauty type of thing. But with esports, what I started, what and it's actually with, with my, my son, he's a, a, he's a big gamer and he'd been really using the platform Twitch a lot. It's a live streaming platform. And he had also been helping different streamers there, try to land different sponsorships and that. And I, I found it a really interesting new way of getting getting entertainment. And at the time when Twitch was was gaining popularity, it was mostly people who gamed on their streaming their their gameplay. And so this was really like fascinating to me that we were having another new platform. You know, we went from like radio to to TV, network TV, and then to cable, and from cable to um, video on demand, which is YouTube. And then now we have live streaming as another way to consume entertainment. And every time you have one of these platform shifts, like there's a need for a lot of content. And so that like really intrigued me about live streaming and about the gaming culture around it. I also was really fascinated by the the culture of of gaming. I think it touches every person. My husband's pretty much, I call him a hardcore gamer because he's been gaming ever since, you know, uh, the Nintendo, everything. And he still games all the time, like very late into the night But and the kids too. So I think gaming touches, like has touched many generations now and is a really big part of people's like, socializing, relaxing, all, all, all of that. So I thought it would be that the culture of it really intrigued me. And I saw the growth opportunities in there in terms of like addressing like content. And also then the fashion part of me got really intrigued about gaming as almost like a subculture that then becomes like, it's like surfing, right? It's like skateboarding. It's like, it's like hip hop, like these were, or even punk. Um, and they were like subcultures within a group, and then they they became like much more mainstream. And so that part of like gaming also intrigued me. And so when my son was starting to work on this esports e- idea, I kind of pushed my own way into into it. It's like, let me join you and, and do this. Let me bring like my experience and you've got like the gaming and the community experience and let's like bring it two together. And he was really against it for a long time, but it's working out. It's working out well now. So, so you're working together with your son on this endeavor. I know, right? Yeah. We kind of keep Family it on business. the down low. We keep it on the down low, but yeah, it is. How is that? How is that uh, working with your son uh, on your current endeavor? For me, great. I think that question you should direct at my son. It goes from uh, my daughters were like, oh, so weird. He keeps calling you Jen. Like, you know, and so he'll have to switch the mom to the, the you know, business the, partner. The, the <laughs> business partner. And for a while, I had also learned to switch off the mom. And as a, as the, the the business partner, but I think after a couple of months, we we got into a, a good way to 
No, I think there are a lot of businesses with family members, right? I mean, through generations and things. So, I, yeah, I, it's fine for me. I think for him, it's more more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> You you chose uh, fighting games as your as your genre of gaming. Why why fighting games? We started off in fighting games. One a couple of reasons. Like fighting games has this long legacy of from the arcade days, and I think even when I was at, in uh, college, I remember they had some arcade cabinets, and there were some fighting games on there. They've been around for a really long time, but I think it's because I under I just it. it, it it made sense to me in that I grew up around Taekwondo or martial arts all the time and, and, you know, going to tournaments and just, it, it was like digitizing what I had experienced as a, as a child. I think in terms of it as a, an e-sport, I think it's something that's very easy for viewers to understand, even if they don't actually play. Unlike a lot of the other like multi multiplayer games, I we thought they would be really great stories to tell around the different players because it's one versus one. So you, it's like the it's like WWE, right, or they, mm-hmm. the UFC. Like you have individuals that you can tell stories about versus like a team of five that are behind the screens and the headsets, and and it's harder to tell tell interesting stories around them. Um, and it was an easier entry point in terms of like financially, like to try to get into some of these other more popular games like the CSGO or League of Legends, you have to be extremely well-funded. And since we were funding this ourselves, fighting games community made a lot more sense to to start, start off in before we expanded to others. But fighting games does speak to my heart in that, you know, my dad and just everything that we grew up in and also the Koreans are at least in a couple of the like Tekken uh, one of the more popular ones they're they're, mm-hmm. they're known as like the, the strongest players in the in the world do you have do you have a favorite game that you like to play I I like to watch I do like to watch Tekken I think it's really mm. it's one of the fighting games I think it's just beautiful well done it's just but I don't have that much time to play. <laughs> so I get to watch everyone else play. <laughs> I'm not a ga- I'm not I'm not one of those true gamers. So um once again, going into something that I don't do well myself, like the the designing sweaters and not knowing how to do it. Like I, I can't it I think last December we had they were we were streaming with at the world championships and, and we were trying to raise money for a charity and said if we hit a certain amount uh, one of my my top pros, he was going to try to teach me how to play Tekken, and it was actually pretty comical because I was like, "What? What button? How do you do this?" <laughs> so, how do you how do you recruit for something like this? How do you when you started your team? How did you recruit for your team? So, Andrew has been in the community, and that he's been following a lot of the, the top players, and mm-hmm. and so. Well, that was one. Um, we also uh, got to know some of the more influential people in the community and we're getting some advice from them. And then with the players, you can watch a lot of the competitions. They Most of them stream as well. So you can see what their personalities are like. There's like world tours, so you see their standings at different tournaments. So for us, we looked at a lot of different factors. We didn't like go for the top players. We went for the ones that were just we thought on the cusp of like becoming 
great players if they were given the opportunity and the support, meaning like we you know, allowed them to travel on the world to compete. And then we also looked at personalities, like do they have some kind of it factor that that we think they'll be very engaging for for the, the community to not only watch great gameplay, but also like cheer for them as 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 people. And so that's kind of how we go went around and, and, and scouted, at least for the fighting game. I think Drew does a really great job of, of scouting young talent. We branched out into team games on one's called Call of Duty. And so last year, Drew scouted a, an amateur team and last year, the Call of Duty went into this transition. Now it's a fully franchised league, but they went into this transition last year where only the top 16 teams ended up allowed to play in their pro league. And so this amateur team that Drew had scouted uh, qualified for one of those 16 spots when a lot of really, really well-known teams did not. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he has a, a really good talent for just finding young talent that given the right support really like really can level up and, and shine and so that's kind of been our i guess that's that's been our our our, our, our mission to go around and, and support up and coming people i've heard that these teams are fairly tend to be male dominated and mm. that you do see some female gamers but not many um, have you seen improvements or changes in recent years or or do you have any advice for young women that would like to go into gaming as a profession? Yeah, so it is it it's at least on the pro level, it is heavily male dominated. We try to encourage more, you know, women women participation. We for our team, we have a, one of the top female tech and uh, women tech and players. We also have a, a great Street Fighter player. Uh, we've also been encouraging like a, a lot of women also come on as like uh, content creators. So they don't reach the pro levels, but they are very good and they they are um, streaming their their gameplay. There's also a lot of women in the not as pro players, but in business and staff roles. And our org has heavily, like, we have a lot of um, women staff staff members. It's the topic of, of women in gaming. I mean, there's been a lot of articles. There's been a lot of panels on it and things. It, it, it's got a long ways to go. Online gaming in itself is uh, the community can be extremely toxic, not only to women but to all different types of people because you've got your you know just you're you're hiding behind the keyboard, and it's it's really I think not for the faint of heart. I think organizations, certain community members, certain groups are doing more and more to try to give support to to women and underrepresented groups within within gaming. Yes, so it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing struggle, and I I think the the women that are there right now leading there's a lot it's a lot on their shoulders to be role models to to put up with a lot of the stuff that they have to put up with a lot of them end up leaving the scene because of all the the harassment and, and whatnot so it's an I just can't believe it's 2020 and we're still this is the way it is but. With that said, I think that the more women we give opportunities to, whether um, to supporting as as pro gamers 
for supporting as um, content creators, supporting as staff, staff members, tournament organizers, like uh, videographers, photographers, like doing marketing, all of that will help to slowly change the environment, I hope. Yeah. Just for those folks who are aspiring to pursue a career or at least explore a career in professional esports, do you have any recommendations or any steps that one should take if they want to enter into this career? Yeah. So I think that when people think of an esports career, they they are only thinking about the the pro player, right? And and you do read all those articles about the, the young young kid who you know, became a, a millionaire playing Fortnite and those are all the articles you read about, right? But I kind of liken it to if someone says that they want to go into entertainment industry and then you're just thinking of being an actor or an actress, right? Because that's that's the most, you know, well-known. But like the entire movie and TV industry, they've got, there's so much opportunities in that, right? So with esports career, when you say that, um, there's only a few people that are going to rise to the level of being able to make a career out of, of, of gaming professionally, right? It's like if you're playing you know, basketball in your playground with your friends and not, not everyone's going to make it to be a, a pro. But I think that if you are someone that is really interested and passionate about gaming and you want to have you want to have a career in it and your gaming skills are not that you're going to be able to be a pro gamer to pursue any of the other things that that you are interested in because we've got lawyers that specialize in in you know in gaming issues we've got like i said videographers photographers we've got graphic artists that design for the teams people who are interested in fashion doing you know work for for esports organizations consultant like anything that you're actually good or interested in you can turn that into an esports career if you're also passionate and about about gaming it's such a growing scene there's going to be more and more more opportunities and financial rewards from it into the going into the future so Ginny, I'm curious, what's next? Any any other future plans? What's your future plans after? Or is this something that you feel like you're going to continue for the foreseeable future? I think there's a lot of opportunities within gaming. And right now we've got the the organization that we're supporting. We're kind of looking at some ancillary opportunities within the, the, the gaming sphere. But I'd like to stay in in this area for for the next 10, 15 years. I just think that there's so many things. Every year something comes up that we didn't really think about, right? And so, yeah, it's exciting. I love uh, working with all the young people. There's a great energy. I mean, it is a lot of the fans, the pros. Yeah, just there's just really great, great energy in it, and and there's great creative minds coming into it and bringing different experiences. So uh, it's an exciting area to be in right now, mm-hmm. and I think going into the future. The final question I have is taking it all the way back to the beginning of our podcast interview. If you could talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell? What would you tell the 18 year old Jinhee, and, and why? 
<laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so old now. <laughs> you're you're forty years older. <laughs> I would say to myself, dream bigger, take more risks, enjoy your youth, and have a lot more fun than I did. That you know that I don't take yourself so seriously and you know, think things are going to work out. So I think when I was 18, I was a very serious person um, and, and I you know, was always working hard, studying hard. And, and yes, I had friends and things, but I didn't really take that many risks about different things. And, and kind of looking back, I, I think, you know, I wish that I had, it's not confidence, just, but just, you know, just do more, you know, just be, have more fun. I should tell that to myself right now too, because I'm always working. <laughs> I should learn to enjoy the time that I, that I'm in right now too. So as an 18 year old, you know, and, and, and early 20s is, as, as stressful as it, it seems and as serious as all your, you know, the, the test or the job or this and that, like it's, everything's so serious and you think every move that you're going to make is going to, well, it does affect you, but like there's so many different ways your, your path can go. And so I would have, yes, told myself, have more fun, relax a bit, laugh a little bit more. And I should tell myself that. Well, on that note, to relax and have a little more fun is a great way to end our podcast here today. Well, Jinhee, thank you very much for your time. And we appreciate you sharing your life with us as well as your wisdom, pieces of wisdom that you've learned throughout your many careers uh, throughout <laughs> your lifetime. I think you need to write an autobiography someday. <laughs> no, uh, it's like when I grow up, I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. No, we, we really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jin Hee An Kim. Certainly a pleasure hearing about all of the industries she has worked in over the last couple of decades and how she's balanced and incorporates her gaming career with her family. It's particularly interesting to hear about how she is finding joy in working with her son in her current esports endeavor. As this dynamic industry continues to grow, I'm certain that Jinhee and her team, UYU, will make a huge mark. Maybe you'll see them in the sports section of a national paper or on ESPN in the near future. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the Korean American Perspectives podcast. As always, we ask that you please subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at councilka.org. Well, thank you again, and I hope you tune in next week. Thank you for tuning into the Korean American Perspectives podcast. Head over to councilka.org for the show notes of this episode and see exciting upcoming programs at CKA. That's councilka.org.